Hey, everybody, we've got news. Even though the episode you're listening to now is number 101 in your feed, it's actually not our 100th original show because we slipped in a couple best of episodes into your feed. We're pretty sneaky. Very sneaky. So to celebrate our 100th show, we're teaming up with public radio station KPCC and letting you watch us record it live. It's a live stream video episode that you'll be able to see and hear days before we turn it into a podcast. Helping us celebrate the Big 100 are our scheduled special guest contestants, multiple Grammy winner DJ Jazzy Jeff, and multiple Emmy winner Faith Saley. It's all happening live on Wednesday, February 16th at 6 p.m. Pacific time. Oh, so this means that there'll be no episode dropping as scheduled on February 18. Instead, this 100th show celebration will be in our podcast feed the following Friday, February 25th. But if you want to see it before then, join us and see us on Wednesday, February 16th at 6 p.m. Pacific. Oh, and guess what? It's free. Just make sure to RSVP at kpcc.org slash events. Look for the Go Fact Yourself live event, then click on through. Again, that's kpcc.org slash events. No coupon code needed. It is free. Thanks for helping us make it to 100 shows. And now enjoy this episode before we see you on Wednesday, February 16th at 6 p.m. Pacific. Thank Thank you, listeners. Are you a real know-it-all? Do you annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, actually? Well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we quiz the smartest people we know and find out why they love what they love. I'm Helen Hong. And now, socially distancing from our homes in Los Angeles, here's our moderator, J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you so much. How are you doing, Helen Hong? I'm doing well. How are you? I am pretty well. I am in the midst of a low-residue diet. And for those uh, listening who may have been able to guess, the reason I'm doing that is because I'm having a colonoscopy in a couple days. A low-residue diet? What does that mean? Uh, It it means I cannot have things that I enjoy, uh, for the Mm. most part. Uh, It's things that that do not have fiber or or, uh, peels or pulps or seeds and that that kind of a thing because I have to – well, let me – I'm going to try to say this gently. I have to uh, have things clear so that when I take this disgusting <laughs> formula tomorrow, everything <laughs> empties in a uh, in a smooth fashion so that when, oh. when I get my colonoscopy, which uh, I recommend to everyone uh, who is of a certain age and is yes. recommended by your doctor, everything will go smoothly. And I'm particularly eager for things to go smoothly because this is actually my second colonoscopy in the last two months. Oh, <laughs> because wow. Because the first one, I did all of the prep correctly. I was very deliberate in making sure everything was okay. And then uh, I wake up from after being under from the colonoscopy and they said that I have to go again because I had poor prep. (gasps) I had poor prep. How dare they? I have to say, I was more upset when they told me that than I was when, like, I've been broken up with before, when I didn't (laughs) get into college, when I didn't get a job. I was so upset because I did everything right. So now this time I'm being extra careful. Wait, so what did yeah. what did you what are you doing differently? I asked for a uh, a different medication which I which I believe maybe is supposed to be a little stronger, which oh, uh, oh boy, careful what you ask for. I'm not going to lie. I know I yeah. know colonoscopies are very important and yes. I intend to get them when I when it's my time, but yeah. you're you're not selling it, Jake. I'm not going to lie. You're not selling the, <laughs> you're not selling the experience to me. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to it. Yeah. I mean, I guess I could emphasize more the cancer prevention 
element of it, but you're right. I need to find a way to make the colonoscopy sexy for our listeners. I will work on that for next time. All right. Well, today on Go Fact Yourself, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they might not know, and frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics. And finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's guest, Helen, who is up first. She is a journalist and author who specializes in writing about sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and whose book, Finding Your Higher Self, is available now. It's Sophie St. Thomas. Hi, Sophie St. Thomas. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so happy to have you. I was so interested in having you on the show because you write about sex and drugs, which a lot of people do, but you really come from a perspective of self-care in those topics. And uh, I I just found that so endearing. In fact, your book's full title is Finding Your Higher Self, Your Guide to Cannabis for Self-Care. So it's not just about getting high, but about taking care of yourself. What does self-care mean to you in those contexts? Honestly, for me, you know, self-care is a really catchy title that I think a lot of people can relate to, but I am a medical marijuana patient. That's really when I personally got into weed when I started using it for PTSD about eight years ago. And Mm -hmm. gradually as my symptoms reduced, but I still used it for social anxiety, like parties, I just realized the overlap between medicinal and recreational is huge. And so in finding your higher self, cannabis for self-care, I'm really just trying to explain in a way that is accessible the medicinal uses of cannabis, but how you can use them in your everyday life for self-care and taking care of yourself. Sophie, as someone who uses it for uh, like literally getting through Monday through Sunday, (laughs) I I slow clap and applaud you. Thank you. you. Thank you. You actually started writing about sex after you were rejected from a school newspaper. Is that right? Oh, God, I forgot about that. So you mentioned it. Yeah, I... Went to school in North Carolina. It was very small. No shade to North Carolina, but it was just not the right college for me. But I was already a a music journalist for my school's newspaper. And then I got cheated on by an older boyfriend who lived in D.C. And I kind of rationally understood, frankly, like, you know, the sex part, because we were in long distance and it was just silly to think that. Sorry, I'm, I'm a bit of realist. It was silly to think that we would get married or anything. So we were college kids. So. I started reading into like ethical non-monogamy and realized that the hardest part of him cheating on me was the lying. And I pitched this in like 2008, you know, to this Mm. conservative North Carolina school. And it was, (laughs) oh, I was shocked at what I was met with. Mm. So since, so since I am comfortable talking about these topics, it seems like a skill to utilize. I I can't believe that your reaction to getting cheated on was to write like a a rational, sane, very well, (laughs) well thought out article. Whereas my reaction in college to getting cheated on is to like, you know, leave a pumpkin with a knife in it at their door. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I mean, I, I also, you know, burned my sheets and like locked them out. Don't, okay, good. Don't worry. <laughs> She's not crazy, good. Helen. Thank, you. Thank yeah. you. I feel yeah. better. I feel better about myself. There is yeah. short-term rage and then a long-term good. plotted out rational revenge plan. <laughs> good. Good. That's, that's a good strategy, I think, for a lot of people. Last thing I want to ask you about is uh, I see that uh, you've made a playlist on your YouTube channel and you've hosted events uh, for goth karaoke. And uh, again, people don't think of karaoke as something that goths would enjoy. But of course, goths would enjoy karaoke. Uh, what do you see at goth karaoke that you might not see at a regular karaoke night? More Nine Inch Nails, generally. <laughs> okay. You know, it used the before he was before he was canceled it was really everyone's chance to sing Marilyn Manson to be honest right. with you mm-hmm. and yes. for goths to embrace that side of them mm-hmm. you know so maybe a little like 
you know, screaming that song bodies on repeat, like let the body set the flow. Goths, yeah. goths <laughs> typically have to be quite pretentious. So a karaoke right. night allows you to sing the goofy goth songs. Oh, that's great. Goofy goth. Excellent. I'm trying to figure out if a goth night ends you with a hoarser voice at the end of the night or if regular karaoke leaves you with a hoarser voice. I guess if you're doing it right at the end of the night, you're just you've lost your voice either way. Definitely. Definitely. Lots more screaming for sure. But that's what's great. <laughs> yeah. And if, do any goths at goth karaoke like slip in a Britney Spears song or don't stop believing? There was a few people who tried to do that, but... I feel, I don't know. I believe in playing by the rules, if that makes sense. You know, respect the setting. Yeah. (laughs) Excellent. Well, we look forward to you playing by our rules here on the show. Thanks for joining us, Sophie St. Thomas. Thank you for having me. All right, Helen, against whom will Sophie be competing? He is a reporter and senior producer of the hit radio show and podcast, Radio Lab. It's Simon Adler. Hello, Simon Adler. Hey, great to be here. Simon, uh, Helen introduced you as a senior producer of uh, Radio Lab. I understand that's a relatively new title. Uh, tell us about that change for yourself. Well, after years of negotiating with no luck, finally I got myself a, a title change. So yeah, uh, not much more to say other than that. Than, uh, hey, kids, keep fighting out there, you know, because eventually it happens. Congratulations. Yeah. Hey, well, thanks. I imagine you've had a lot of title changes there. At Radio Lab, you started as an intern. I did start as an intern. Yeah, I got an internship, I guess, back in 2014. <gasps> did the intern slog for six months, realized that's where I wanted to work. So freelanced in New York for about a year and a half, babysitting 20 or 30 hours a week to pay the bills. Mm. Uh, kept pitching stories to Radio Lab. Eventually, they said, okay, fine, we'll give you a desk. Come on, you can, you can stay. Yeah. <laughs> What's harder, dealing with public radio people or dealing with babies? Oh, public radio people, no <laughs> question. Like, we could spend hours discussing that very distinction. But yes, definitely, pu- definitely public radio people. Simon, you just spent much of 2021 on a five-part series for Radio Lab called Mixtape about cassette tapes. What about that topic appealed to you, and, and what did you discover that maybe you weren't expecting? I sort of fell into it because I was looking for something to listen to in the evening, sort of to put me to sleep, and I started buying up these hypnosis and self-help tapes just as something to listen to that was other than a podcast. Mm. And I quickly became fascinated by these little artifacts, mostly because here were the first people ever trying to make on-demand audio content for people. Like, And from there, I just became fascinated by the crazy impact this often not thought of device had. Everything from sneaking rock and roll music into China to allowing various people to record their histories for the first time to the United States using it as a weapon of psychological war during the Vietnam Mm -hmm. War. Pretty much you pick the country and you pick the consequence and there was a cassette tape involved somewhere. You just have to (laughs) dig hard enough. There was a great segment about it literally helping to overthrow the Iranian government. Yes, the Ayatollah Khomeini was in exile in France. He needed to stay in touch with his revolutionaries on the ground in Iran. They needed his voice. His voice was what people wanted. And so what did they figure out how to do? But to create this massive network of uh, answering machines all across Iran where they put a, a tape on the receiver, send his voice down the line to an answering machine in Tehran, which would then call somebody else. And before you knew it, there were thousands of copies of the tapes throughout Iran. Whoa. What I loved about it was you see all of these sort of phenomena that we associate with the internet were all happening with cassette tapes 40 years uh, prior. And the weird thing is he also had ads in there for Magic Spoon, 
which I thought was unusual. <laughs> uh, on this mixtape series, you produced, you reported, you sound designed, you hosted, but you also scored uh, yes. the music for these podcasts. Tell us about this kind of music that you make that actually uses cassettes. Yeah. So uh, again, this was sort of one of my entry roads into all this. Um, but there's this very odd internet genre of music called vaporwave, which essentially at its core is about taking uh, songs from the 80s on cassette tapes, slowing them down, and then sampling them. Hopefully the music creates a cohesiveness and creates a sort of layer of nostalgia unto itself throughout the piece. And yes, it's mo it's built off of cassette samples with then layers and layers of guitars and saxophones and synthesizers put on top of them. But yeah, that, that that's the music. Okay, overachiever. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> no, right. I didn't I didn't feel bad enough about not being able to play an instrument. Now there's another technology that I don't know how to use you for will. music. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> no, no, no. It's very impressive. It's very impressive. We're just obviously very, very jealous. <laughs> I've heard that you've described Radiolab as a documentary and that you actually try to use film techniques in this audio medium. Uh, what kind of film techniques have you found yourself using? D just the term zoom in. Like we need mm. to zoom in right here. And at its most basic, it's like, what are we trying to do? We're trying to make a movie in your mind. And so if we're doing that, and that's the sort of metaphor we're dealing with, if I want to zoom in on something to show that, I don't know, this person has a piece of paper in their hand that says an important piece of information, like mm -hmm. as far back as in the interview with the person talking about that moment, you need to get them to be talking about the thing that's in their hand that has the writing on the piece of paper. So zooming in, uh, panning, like moving from mm -hmm. one perspective to another, juxtaposition, obviously, we're always using those, we're playing with contrast all the time. Uh, yeah, mo moves like that, I would get, I, I would say. That's so cool. Last thing I want to ask you about, I saw that you participated in a class at Cornell uh, where you took questions from students about how to make a great podcast. How can we make today's episode a great podcast? Hey, we're already off on the right foot. I think this is going to be great. You know, everybody just be your uh, sort of overly exuberant version of yourself and we're going to have a great time. That's, All what I, right. that's what I would suggest. <laughs> wow. Was that a zoom in? <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 exactly. We were zooming it. Sure. Yeah. You can call it whatever you want. We all have to be agreeable as well. That can help make a good podcast. Uh-oh. I didn't know about the agreeable part. That might be that might be an issue for Helen. No, I'm just kidding. We're so happy to have you here and make this podcast even better. Everyone, it's Simon Adler. Simon and Sophie, we asked each of you to provide us with a few topics outside your field of work in which you feel you have some expertise. Sophie, you said you know a lot about the movie True Romance, David Bowie's Berlin Trilogy, and Ketamine. Whereas, Simon, you said you know a lot about Mario Kart 64, the PBS TV show Arthur, and the city of Eau Claire, Wisconsin. I can't wait to see how those topics cross over. Uh, later on, we will ask you some in-depth trivia questions about one of those topics. But first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It's time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. We'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. If either of you gives an incorrect answer, the other person has a chance to steal. Your topic today, holy water. First up is Sophie with holy. Sophie, while they both might be something important in a religion, what is the difference between holy and sacred? holy and sacred let's see i would say sacred is a more general term that refers mm -hmm. to kind of anything spiritual whereas holy water has been blessed by someone um you know if, if by catholics it would be by the priest who's supposed to be speaking through god okay the priest speaking through god very good all right we've got sophie's answer we don't know yet if she's entirely correct simon if you don't think she's got it just right you can steal what do you think yeah i would say that holy implies the presence of God, where sacredness is sort of one level abstracted from, from God. 
God minus one. God minus one. <laughs> yes, my my favorite record series of the nineteen sixties. <laughs> Sacred water is like diet holy water. There, okay. there we go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, all the benefits of holy water, not all the calories. All right. Well, ending this segment would be a blessing. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges' table for the facts. Here are the facts. While holy and sacred are sometimes used interchangeably, there is a difference. Holy usually refers to people or relationships, like a holy father or holy matrimony. Also, when something is holy, it's believed to be the result of a divine act directly from a god. Sacred usually refers to objects or places, like a sacred cow or sacred ground. Also, when something is sacred, its importance is not believed to be the result of a divine act. By the way, the Bible, even though it is an object, is referred to as the Holy Bible because followers believe the words came directly from God, even if the copy of the book in your hotel nightstand did not. Yes, that would be from the Gideons. Uh, That's right, Helen. There are, of course, exceptions to this. Objects that are so amazing they're referred to as holy, like holy water, holy crap, and holy guacamole. Helen, how did our guest do? Hmm, gee, neither one of you nailed it quite on the head. Simon, you did say that holy is the presence of God, so you were kind of close on that. I'll, I'll give you one point for that. All right, one point for Simon. All right, up next in Holy Water is Simon with water. Simon, your question comes from a listener. Who is it, Helen? I will let them tell you themselves because we have a listener recording. Listeners, if you'd like to submit a suggestion for our What's the Difference round, go to gofactyourpod.com and click on Get Involved. Okay, hit it. Hey, everybody. This is Kelly Yates from Portland, Oregon. My question for What's the Difference is, while they both contain a lot of water, What's the difference between an ocean and a sea? Love the show. Thanks. Bye. Oh, thank you so much, Kelly. All right, uh, Simon, you heard Kelly, who is in Portland, Oregon, where you are now. What is the difference between an ocean and a sea? I believe the definition of a sea is that it flows directly into an ocean. So maybe if I have to say more than that, it would be first and foremost size, but then also which leads into the other. Which leads into the other. All right. Well, that leads me into asking Sophie, what do you think? Do you think Simon got it just right? I grew up in the Caribbean and the Caribbean Sea was everything. So I should know this. I always associated the sea with being contained, like within Mm -hmm. the islands and, you know, the waves are smaller. I'm just thinking surfing. It's much easier to surf in the ocean where you have big rough waves coming yeah. in than somewhere like the sea where you have islands blocking. But I, I, I have no idea what the actual difference is. I, I think Simon did great. Uh, well, we're going to find out what the actual difference is, but that's a very reasonable answer that you gave as well. Meanwhile, this segment is drifting out to sea. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges table for the facts. Here are the facts. There are two main differences. First, oceans are bigger. And on Earth, there are only five of them. The Atlantic, Pacific, Indian, Arctic, and, as of 2002, the Southern Ocean. Second, seas are almost always located where the water meets land, and typically are partially enclosed by land. Though you may think you're walking on a beach along the ocean, more likely that water at the shore is a sea, or a gulf, bay, or fjord. That's right. There are, of course, some exceptions. In the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, you'll find the Sargasso Sea. In the Middle East, you'll find the freshwater lake, the Sea of Galilee. And in movie theaters in 19 
1989, you'll find Sea of Love starring Ellen Barkin. Helen, how did our guest do? Sophie, I'm going to give you one point because you said sea is like contained within islands. And, and that's that was in the ballpark. So one point for Sophie. And Simon, although you did mention the size, you didn't specify which one was bigger. Yeah, Simon, I'll give you a half point as well. Thank All you. right. What is our score at the end of that round, Helen? At the end of that round, Sophie St. Thomas has one point and Simon Adler has a point and a half. All right. But those scores are bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. That's all up ahead when we come back on Go Fact Yourself. Hello. Hello. And, and hello, fresh. fresh. We rehearsed that three times. <laughs> hey, hello, fresh. You get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on Hello Fresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh offers 50 weekly recipes featuring a range of flavors, cuisines, and ingredients so you'll never get bored. Try something new every week. HelloFresh offers the flexibility you need with customizable orders every week. You can add extra proteins and sides, change up the serving size when you have guests, or just double up on your favorite recipes so your box works harder for you. You can easily change your delivery days or food preferences and skip a week whenever you need. And I'm just looking through some of these recipes they have on their site available right now. Turkey and zucchini pomodoro penne bake, white Ooh. cheddar wonder burgers, pork sausage spaghetti bolognese, one pot pho style Beef meatball soup. Oh, my gosh. So many different things for so many different recipes and flavors and tastes. Yummy. Uh, Helen, is there some sort of call to action? Go to HelloFresh.com slash GoFact16 and use code GoFact16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. That's HelloFresh.com slash GoFact16 and code GoFact16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Thank, Thank you, you HelloFresh. Prepare yourself for the greatest pro wrestling podcast spectacular known as Tights and Fights. A back-dropping audio showcase that helps you understand the world of pro wrestling with a lot of love and no toxic masculinity. Featuring host Danielle Radford. Time to kick butt and chew gum, and I'm all out of butts. Lindsay Cow. I'm a brutal Brit, and my fists were made to punch and hit. And Hal Loblin. I was doing the voiceover this whole time. Hear us talk about pro wrestling's greatest triumphs and failures. And make fun of its weekly absurdities. On the Perfect Wrestling Podcast. Tights and Fights. Every Saturday, Saturday, Saturday on Maximum Fun. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests, Sophie St. Thomas and Simon Adler. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. All right, Sophie, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about the movie True Romance, David Bowie's Berlin Trilogy, and Ketamine. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. Tell us what the movie True Romance means to you. The movie True Romance is a flick filled with babes and violence and drugs. If you're into those things, <laughs> it stars Patricia Arquette, who plays a sex worker turned wifey, and Christian Slater plays her husband. It also stars Gary Oldman, who plays a fantastic but very evil pimp. It's just a really 
epic film that I saw as a teenager in high school and I thought was the most romantic thing I've ever seen. And since then, it's kind of become this cult film that I still love and make sure I watch at least once a year. Fantastic. All right. You also said you know a lot about David Bowie's Berlin trilogy. Tell us what that means to you. Well, I love David Bowie. He has been a my a musical favorite, a queer and fashion icon for me for pretty much since I saw him as Jairus the Goblin King. My favorite music from him, as many people agree, comes from his Berlin Trilogy, which is a series of three albums recorded in the late 70s. Brilliant, problematic, fascinating time in the history of David Bowie's life and music. And then finally, Sophie, you said you know a lot about ketamine. I I do know a lot about ketamine. Drugs have been fascinating to me my entire life. Obviously, I'm a drug journalist and drug author. And ketamine, I have... I had the unfortunate experience of being in a shooting, which luckily everyone's okay, but I was prescribed ketamine for PTSD right after that and started using it therapeutically through infusions. And then already being a drug reporter and drug author, I have just dived deep into the world of ketamine to learn everything possible there is about this drug, which has so many purposes and is just completely fascinating to me. Wow. I was researching a little bit. It's amazing that the the people who had been resistant to a lot of medications for depression or PTSD oh, yeah. are, are finding incredible breakthroughs with it. Obviously, we're not prescribing it for anyone, but it, it's amazing research. That's and and right quickly, now. too, is the thing yeah. is why, especially after a really traumatic event, it works yeah. in like four and a half to 24 hours. You know, I personally don't have a problem with antidepressants, but they can take up to three months to start working. Very interesting. Well, to summarize, you said you know a lot about the movie True Romance, David Bowie's Berlin Trilogy and Ketamine. Today, we're going to quiz you about the movie True Romance. Uh-oh, okay. <laughs> uh, by the way, this is our second episode in a row that we're recording where the topic is a Christian Slater movie. Oh my and God. we have a guest named Sophie. Uh, on our last episode, we, we talked about Untamed Heart from that same era. How many times do you think you've seen it? And uh, you see it on the regular? Dozens. Dozens, wow, okay. And uh, do you have a favorite scene or a favorite line from the movie? There's so many. Honestly, I love when Alabama Worley beats the sh- out of James, James Gandolfini's character <laughs> yeah. and ends up killing him. You know, they just think she's such this like little blonde bimbo. And then she has yeah. like, uses her hairspray to light him on fire. And the like <laughs> the weaponizing of that like femme tool is just so beautiful right. to me. <laughs> oh, very cool. Yeah. I'm a little bit ashamed to say I've never seen this movie. But after hearing you describe that one scene, I'm like, I got to watch this thing. This, <laughs> is, this sounds crazy. We this are doing a public service here, Sophie. No <laughs> doubt about it. All right. Well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic with our three-part question. But before that, to give you a chance to show off, here are five trivia questions about your topic. If you want it, you're allowed a total of two hints in these five questions. Now, Simon, do listen closely because you can steal if Sophie gets any wrong. Simon, by the way, how much do you know about the movie True Romance? Never seen it. Oh, my. Okay. Right on, Simon. Right on. (laughs) Thank you, Helen. We'll co-watch it after the recording. Sounds good. Deal. (laughs) Here we go. Question number one, Sophie St. Thomas. True Romance was directed by a veteran director, the late Tony Scott, but the screenplay is credited to a young up-and-coming writer and future director who would go on to win two Oscars for his screenplays for Pulp Fiction and Django Unchained. Who is it? That would be Quentin Tarantino. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Fun fact, Tarantino's frequent partner Roger Avery says he also contributed to the script, but he was not credited. By the way, Tony Scott previously directed The Hunger, starring the subject of another of your topics, Sophie, David Bowie. We actually talked about The Hunger and David Bowie with one of the co-stars of that movie, Anne Magnuson, on episode 54 of Go Fact Yourself. All right, Sophie, here's question number two. 
Unlike Tarantino's original script, the finished film has a happy ending, showing Clarence and Alabama on the beach with their young son. In fact, they're so happy that Alabama says the only thing she might have done differently is not name her son after a certain rock and roll legend, a legend Clarence admires and has imaginary conversation with in the film as his mentor. Who is that? That would be Elvis. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. You're two for two. You did not need the hint on this one, but Helen, I know you were very eager to give this hint. What would that hint have been? Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. <laughs> Helen Hong, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Fun fact, Val Kilmer, of course, played the Elvis Presley character in the movie, a role listed as mentor. The boy playing the son named Elvis is Enzo Rossi, who is the actual son of Patricia Arquette. All right, here's question number three. There are lots of movie and literary references in True Romance, including the code name given to the suitcase of cocaine that Clarence is trying to sell. What 1960s film, based on a 1950s Russian novel, is the suitcase of cocaine referred to as repeatedly? God, I actually don't. I need the clue for that. All right. Helen, how about that first hint? The title rhymes with Proctor Chicago. Doctor, I... I it's Dr. Chicago. I don't know. I, I really don't know this one. I'm so sorry. Right. That's all right. Helen, is it Proctor Prigago? <laughs> she said Dr. Prigago, and that is not correct. No, I'm terribly sorry. Simon with a chance to steal. It's like Dr. Viago. Is it Dr. Viago? Is it Dr. Viago, Helen? It is not Dr. Viago. No, you dodged a bullet there, Sophie. Uh, we're looking for Dr. Zhivago, the Boris Pasternak. Zhivago. The Boris Pasternak novel, Dr. Zhivago. Uh, Helen, would you like to give uh, Sophie half a point for getting the doctor part? I would, yes. All right, a half point there for Sophie. Fun fact, when Quentin Tarantino won a Golden Globe in 2020, he dedicated the award to Robert Bolt, who had written the screenplay for Dr. Zhivago. Apologies to any Dr. Zhivago fans out there. Yeah. <laughs> that, none of us, that none of us knew that. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> if, we, if we start apologizing to our listeners for things we don't know, we will never end an episode. <laughs> All right, here's question number four, Sophie. When Clarence and Alabama first meet, they go to a diner where he asks her a lot of questions about herself. But which of the following is not a question that Clarence asks at the diner? Is it, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite pizza topping? Who's your favorite movie star? What are your turn-ons? Or what kind of music do you like? He doesn't ask her what her favorite pizza topping. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Very, very nice. He does ask also, what do you do? Where are you from? Turn-offs? Do you have a fella? And... Do you want a bite of my pie? Uh, fun fact, although this scene takes place in Detroit, it was shot in Santa Monica, California at Ray's Diner, of which I was a frequent customer in high school. Try the hobo breakfast. All right, here's question number five, Sophie. You still have your second hint available. Okay. True Romance features an iconic car, a purple Cadillac convertible. But according to Daniel Storm, the car's current owner, it wasn't in great shape when the movie was filmed. In fact, the interior was so bad, filmmakers had to cover the front with animal print throws and the back with a solid color blanket. What was the animal print and what was the solid color of the blanket? Simon laughing at the prospect of the number five question he might have to answer later. Yep. <laughs> Sophie, deep in thought. You do have that hint available, Sophie, if you'd like yeah, to use it. Yeah, I'll use the hint. Helen, how about that second hint? The animal, according to the famous saying, can't change its spots. The color is what you mix with red to get purple. So tiger and blue. Tiger and blue. Helen, is it tiger and blue? It is not tiger and blue. Not exactly. No, Simon with a chance to steal. Cheetah and blue. Helen? 
It is not cheetah and blue. No, I'm sorry. We did not give you a rhymes with leopard, but it is leopard. A uh, leopard, they say, cannot change its spots. But blue is correct, which uh, is a half a point there for Sophie. Very nice. Mm-hmm. Sophie, you did quite well in that round, but now here is your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. Sophie, in a movie full of colorful characters and wonderful performances, one of the most colorful and wonderful is movie producer Lee Donowitz, whose credits include Coming Home in a Body Bag and its yet untitled sequel. Some say Lee Donowitz is based on a real-life movie producer whose credits include The Last Boy Scout, which was directed by True Romance director Tony Scott. So, for up to three points, what does Lee say is the preferred title so far for the sequel to Coming Home in a Body Bag? What real-life movie producer is the character of Lee based on? And who played movie producer Lee Donowitz in True Romance? The proposed title is Coming Home in a Body Bag 2. Okay. God, I mean, I just want to say Harvey Weinstein, but I don't know if that's because the times have changed and he's the only movie producer I think about. (laughs) Okay. Um, and then the actor who played Lee Donowitz. I don't know. Dennis Hopper. And Dennis Hopper. Okay. Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight is an award-winning actor, writer, producer, and director whose many credits include playing movie producer Lee Donowitz <laughs> in True Romance. It's Saul Rubinek. Hello. There he is, Saul Rubinek. Oh, it's you. Hi, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'll take whatever name you had, Sophie. I'll, I'll change. <laughs> Excellent. Perfect. Oh my gosh, we're so excited to see you. You're so iconic. That just means, that usually is the, you know how they say 70 is the new 50 or so iconic is the new word for old. <laughs> that oh, is not, not what not I meant. That is not what I meant. <laughs> Saw people immediately recognize you from your decades of work uh, that have included appearances in movies like Unforgiven, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, TV shows like Frasier, Warehouse 13, and Hunters, which is currently on Amazon Prime Video. It's so cool that you're joining us. Thank you. Saul, let's actually talk about Hunters first, and then we'll we'll get into true romance in a little bit. Your parents are Holocaust survivors. You were actually born in a refugee camp. So I, I can only imagine, what does it mean to you to be in a show about hunting down Nazis? Mostly it was just, fun working with such a really talented group of people. I had never met Al Pacino before. And so spending eight, uh, almost, I guess we had uh, five months together, six months, every, almost every day on set together. So that was really cool. He was first very shy to share stories, but eventually he realized he was with a group of really fun actors, but it was also moving experience because I'm playing a character whose first language is not English. Similar to me, my first languages were French and Yiddish. I, I spoke with an accent. I was able to speak Yiddish occasionally. And I'm with the great Carol Kane, who played my mm. wife, who is somebody I'd never met before, but we became very close uh, during the shooting of it. It was, it was very, it was heavy, right? It's a heavy piece and violent, very violent piece. And it was really cool to work on. In addition to Carol Kane, you also work with uh, Kate Mulvaney, who was a previous guest on this show. Uh, you also got to work- Kate did, Kate did this show? Yeah, what can you she, believe it? What was her expert? Was she a guest? She was a or? guest. She was she was a guest, and her uh, topic of expertise was a uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, that's really cool. Oh, I think we might have lost Saul Rubinek. Uh, hold on, we're going to try to get him back. It might sound a little different. Saul, welcome back. Yeah, sorry about that. Well, in addition to Carol Kane and Kate Mulvaney, who's been on the show, you also got to work with your daughter. Yes, my daughter Hannah um, auditioned for the role and got it, which was really a thrill for us. And she looks actually more like Carol Kane than she does me because she's 
light haired and blue eyed <laughs> and with my son who is shot on the train platform arriving at Auschwitz. And and it's a memory that the character has at the same time as he's happy his you know, his daughter is getting married. So it was very moving and really helped a lot to have my daughter there for the whole sequence. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool. That is amazing. Well, you've got a movie that you made recently that's also in that world. It is called Stettel. Tell us about Stettel. Uh, the word Stettel, which is uh, comes from the German word city, Stadt, and Stettel, oh, meaning is like a diminutive, like cigar, cigarette, mm-hmm. E-T-T-E. Stettel is little town. And it's the Yiddish word for all the little villages that grew up all over Eastern Europe uh, that were 95% destroyed uh, during the Second World War. And the entire film is in one day. And it's a black and white film, all in the Yiddish language. There's no English in it, a little bit of Ukrainian and some German. And many of the actors astoundingly learned Yiddish phonetically, which was really extraordinary feat of memorization by some of these wonderful actors. Wow. Well, shifting topics slightly, uh, let's talk about true romance. Uh, I, I, I saw an interview where you said that you first read the script and you didn't get it. I don't know if I didn't get it. Um, what it was is a combination of extreme violence, graphic violence, and humor. And I wasn't sure about the ethics of it. Mm. I wasn't sure if it was exploitative or not. It felt like it was edging onto exploitation. But there was something so outrageous about it. The casting director, Risa Brayman and Billy Hopkins, who knew me, said, you need to come in and audition for this. That's why I went in. Yeah. And uh, there's a great story you tell about that audition, if you wouldn't mind indulging us one more time. It was one of those weird moments where I didn't know Tony Scott at the time, and I didn't know that he had a wicked, impish sense of humor. I arrived there uh, at his office in Los Angeles, ready to play this character, Lee Donowitz. And I started to do this car scene. In the middle of it, Tony Stosh said, well, can you stop a minute? Just, you know, it's a British accent. You stop. Uh, sorry. I mean, you've got Joel down to a T. He's right. Perfect. But a, a couple of notes. I said, I'm sorry. I don't know. Joel, the character's name was Lee. And I had no idea. He said, wait, no, you do it. I mean, I just worked with him on the last Boy Scout, Joel, Joel Silver. You're doing Joel Silver. I mean, you're doing a great imitation of him. And I said, Okay, fine. But it's an accident, man. I don't know who Joel Silver is. I've never heard of him. He said, well, all right, done, man. Give me a couple of pointers. All right. I said, yeah, sure. And he started, he started doing an imitation of his producer, Joel Silver, who we just worked with. And I stopped him and I said, you know, man, for good or ill, I'm doing some version of myself here. Mm. I found my inner Lee Donowitz, <laughs> and I don't know how to do an imitation of you a Cockney guy speaking with some lower class British accent is doing some bad imitation of an American <laughs> producer that I've never met or seen. <laughs> and he, with a sense of humor that he had, is hilarious. He turns to Billy Hopkins, who was in the room, the casting director who was there at the time. And he says, well, I thought you said he wanted this part. <laughs> oh. And I saw red. Mm. I didn't know that he was joking. And I went, hey, uh, Tony. Uh, not for any f- price. Wow. And he went, well, that's him. <laughs> and I kind of walked out. and I didn't really know what had happened. <laughs> I mean, I just got angry. It really was know? based on, yeah, you really did use your own, your own life to bring to that role then. But anyway, Tony just had a great laugh about that. And not only that, but when we were doing that scene, which all took place 
at the Ambassador Hotel, I would say there's a 15, 20% of that scene is improvised. Oh, that's really cool. Wow. We miss him greatly. Tony had this great ability, that sense of humor that he had transferred to the set. And he, he always knew exactly what he wanted to do, but he created an atmosphere of ease and where you felt you could just fall on your face. And the best directors I've ever worked with in my 700,000 year career. Icon- is iconic, that, isn't it? it? it my iconic <laughs> career is that yeah. it, are those directors that allow you that kind of, of freedom to fall flat on your face. Because mm. if you don't have the freedom to fail, you'll never reach any heights either. And that's the essence of collaboration. And I would suspect, Sophie, that one of the reasons that you like the show and you watch it so many times isn't so much about how cool it is, but you've caught a spirit of a great group of actors and nobody had what I call red carpet-itis. <laughs> and it was just a lot of fun. And that's uh, one of the things I remember most about it. I also remember and the movie Truman's came out and bombed and died in one weekend. Over. Done. Didn't even have a second weekend. There were no Tarantino <laughs> fans at the time. And it was sold mm. by the kind of like a Christian Slater date movie. And people who kind of came on dates were horrified. I'm sure yeah. horrified. <laughs> I don't think the word of mouth was really good. No, this is for your tattooed motorcycle driving iconoclast somewhere living in the East Village. It was his movie or her movie. That's who should have been in the audience, who wasn't in the audience. And those people eventually did get to be the audience of that movie. Like your friend Sophie there. Oh, I just did live in the East Village. And Not surprised. Too, so. yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know your audience. All right. Well, Saul, I, I love these wonderful stories. Let's get to the reason we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the questions that we asked of Sophie. First, we wanted to know, what does Lee say is the preferred title so far for the sequel to Coming Home in a Body Bag? Helen, what did Sophie say? Coming Home in a Body Bag 2. And Saul? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, they actually say body bags, yeah. too, but we'll give it to you there. A yeah. point there for Sophie. Very good. Next, we want to know what real-life movie producer is the character of Lee based on? Helen, what did Sophie say? Sophie said Harvey Weinstein. And no, Saul? no, th- no, no. This is uh, Joel Silver. Yeah. All right. I'm sorry. No point there, but a reasonable guess. And finally, we wanted to know who played the movie producer Lee Donowitz in True Romance. Helen, what did Sophie say? Sophie said Dennis Hopper. And Saul? <laughs> No, Dennis is his dad. I know, I messed up. <laughs> <laughs> who did play that role, Saul Rubinek? I'm not sure. Some guy who changed his name to Saul Rubinek. He originally, <laughs> his name was Dennis Hopper, but he changed his name. Ah, okay. <laughs> well, I understand that uh, Sophie got a little confused on that then. Saul, before we let you go, Sophie, is there anything you'd like to say or ask of our expert, Saul, while we have him here? Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you for making an iconic movie, which is not like an old thing. <laughs> an it's old just- movie, right? An impactful thing. And I appreciate you and your talents, and I'm definitely going to see that Holocaust film. Oh, the Holocaust uh, film, Shtetl, yeah. It's uh, not released. We're hoping it'll be in the Berlin Film Festival, and it'll probably not be released till 2023. They're working on it now. 2023. We'll certainly look forward to that, and we're so happy that you joined us, Saul Rubinek. Okay, cool, guys. Helen, what is our score at the end of that round? At the end of that round, Sophie St. Thomas has six points and Simon Adler has a point and a half with a round of questions for Simon coming up. That's right. We're going to talk with Simon about a topic he knows about. Plus, later, Simon and Sophie will go head to head in our fast facts round, all to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. 
Hi, I'm Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. And I'm Jordan Morris, boy detective. Our comedy podcast, Jordan Jesse Go, just celebrated its 15th anniversary. It was a couple months ago, but we forgot. Uh, yeah, completely. Our, our silly show is 15 years old. That makes it old enough to get its learner's permit. And almost old enough to get the talk. Wow, I hope you got the talk before then. A lot of things have changed in 15 years. Our show's not one of them. We're never changing and you can't make us. Jordan, Jesse, go the same forever at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests, Sophie St. Thomas and Simon Adler. Once again, here's Jakey Van Stratton. Thanks, Helen. All right, Simon, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about Mario Kart 64, the PBS TV show Arthur, and the city of Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. Tell us first, why did you choose Mario Kart 64 as one of your topics? Technology wasn't a big part of my family's life growing up, but at one point they finally allowed us to get a Nintendo 64 long after uh, that was the cool thing to have. <laughs> and one of the games we had was Mario Kart. And uh, it's the perfect balance of simplicity and complexity. Like, uh, you just don't need anything more than like the three axes you can make decisions <laughs> on in the game. <laughs> And th there are billions of dollars being bet that I'm wrong about that, but I I'm confident in my in my belief there. <laughs> Spoken like a true science communicator, by the way. <laughs> you think of Mario Kart, you think of three axes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. You also said you know a lot about the PBS TV show Arthur. Yeah, a similar answer to the first one. Didn't have a lot of technology. All we had was PBS every morning before school, starting in like third grade. Oddly, going through like sophomore year. <laughs> Arthur was the one thing I could watch while I was eating my cereal getting ready to go to school in the morning. Whoa. So I know those episodes inside and out. And uh, wow. is it a similar appeal, the three axes thing? The Arthur, Buster, the brain. Yeah, their interactions are very triaxial. <laughs> yes. <laughs> very cool. And finally, you said you know a lot about the city of Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Uh, yeah, it's my hometown, so I hope I know a thing or two about it. Such a great place to grow up. I grew up uh, running around barefoot and shirtless most of the time. So, like, well, you know, when you when you can't play video games and you can't watch TV, I mean, yeah, you're running around shirtless. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Very well said. Thank you for yeah. You 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 know a lot about me at this point. Yeah, right you gotta get your entertainment where you can. All right, Simon. So to summarize, you said you know a lot about Mario Kart 64, the PBS TV show Arthur, and the city of Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Today, we're going to quiz you about. The PBS TV show, Arthur. Great. Let's go. Let's, I'm ready for All this. right. Well, let's find a little bit more before uh, we launch into the quiz. Uh, is it something that you still watch? You mentioned you watched it uh, through high school. When's the last time you think you've seen Arthur? I feel like I probably watched a Christmas special, mm -hmm. an Arthur Christmas special, when I was in college. Like, I probably went home for college. Mm -hmm. We still only had uh, three <laughs> channels. So <laughs> PBS was there, yeah. and there was an Arthur show on. Yeah. yeah so I'd, I'd say sophomore year of college. And uh, do you have a favorite character or favorite episode that you remember? I always related with Arthur. I thought I was Arthur. Yep. Well, it's interesting. You started watching him in third grade because Arthur is forever a third grader. So you think you're particularly rela related to that? Yeah. Well, and also, yeah, maybe uh, I, I, I never wanted to grow up. Mm. And so through him, I was able to watch what would happen should I be stuck in the third grade forever. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic to test your mastery in the subject. 
with our expert level question worth three points. But before that, to let you show your love, here are five trivia questions about the topic, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed to hint for any two of these five questions. Now, Sophie, do listen closely, because if Simon answers incorrectly, you can steal. How much do you know about the PBS TV show, Arthur? I have never seen an episode zero. Okay, so so this is like true romance was for Simon. Yes. Okay, well, uh, let's see if he lets you in. Here's question number one for Simon Adler. Arthur is a great show with a great theme song sung by a great reggae star whose father, Bob, is probably the greatest reggae star. Who sings the Arthur theme song? Yeah, what a, a, a last name, Mar- Mr. Marley. Helen? Sure, yeah, I'll give it to you. Yeah, we'll give it to you. We'll, we'll, we'll play Jeopardy rules. Um, uh, Sophie, you have a, yeah? Who is Ziggy Marley? Oh, I'm sorry. We do not take Jeopardy-style questions on the show. No, no. Uh, It was Ziggy Marley. Helen, it's up to you how you want to distribute the points here. I will accept that answer for one point for Simon and also give half a point to Sophie. Oh, very nice, Sophie. And we appreciate your raising your hand to buzz in as well. Uh, I, 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 if I could just say, yeah. like, my pulp cu- pop culture knowledge is next to zero for all of the pre-stated reasons I've said. Ah, uh, okay, okay. So I'm just like, Mr. Marley was a pretty good it answer is. as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> it, it is. <laughs> From, and very respectful as well. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. All right. It was Ziggy Marley. Fun fact, the song is called Believe in Yourself. It was covered on a special Arthur episode by the Backstreet Boys. All right, here's question number two. During its nearly 25-year run, Arthur has won a BAFTA award, several Emmy awards, and one award given annually for excellence in television, podcast, radio, and digital media, an award won twice by a certain show called Radiolab. What award named for a man called George is it? Uh, That would be the Peabody Award. Helen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. Very good. Fun fact, our previous guests on Go Fact Yourself who have won Peabody Awards include Bill Curtis, Sarah Spain, Jessica Yellen, and Josh Gondelman. Simon, do you consider yourself a Peabody Award winner having worked on Radiolab during that time? No, no, do I don't. Okay. No. Well, we cannot add you to that list. You were Peabody adjacent, though. <laughs> I'll take that. I'll take that. Okay, very good. Yep. All right, you're two for two. Here's question number three. Not everyone has gotten to see every episode of Arthur because Alabama Public Television refused to air an episode featuring a same-sex wedding between two characters on the show, a rat and an aardvark, in 2019. In 2019! Who is one of these two gay characters? I would guess Mr. Ratburn. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Very good. Mr. Ratburn is Arthur's teacher. He married Patrick, the aardvark, who is a chocolatier. Question number four. Arthur has had a very eclectic assortment of guest stars drop in, but which one of the following celebrities has not appeared on the show? Is it game show host Alex Trebek, cellist Yo-Yo Ma, baseball player Johnny Damon, architect Frank Gehry, or singer Paul Simon? Paul Simon has not been on the show. Art Garfunkel has. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. We didn't fool you with that one. Very, very nice. Other celebrities to appear on Arthur include Joan Rivers, Alan Cumming, and Matt Damon, who is not related to Johnny Damon. As you mentioned, Art Garfunkel did appear on the show. Art Garfunkel's full first name is Arthur. Hmm. All right, you are four for four. You've not used any of your hints. Here's question number five. Just because you're an aardvark doesn't mean you can't have a dog, as evidenced by Arthur's Grandma Thora taking in a stray. What is the name and breed of Grandma Thora's dog? Arthur's dog name is Pal. I know that, but I'm going to need a hint for the grandma dog name. (laughs) Helen, how about that hint? His name is another word for a murderer, and his breed has a man's first and last name in it. 
a nickname for John. Killer is the name of the dog. I actually think that might be right. And then okay. the, the breed you're asking? Has a, has a man's first and last name in it. A nickname for John. Mm. Yeah, sorry. I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna throw it in the towel on that one, guys. I'm sorry. Don't want to waste right. the tape with me thinking. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so much so much tape that we yeah. waste here on yeah. the show. Yeah. Sophie with a chance to steal. Yeah, John is a very short name. I was, <gasps> I was gonna say Dick. Is Dick short for John? Yeah. Not usually. No, I'm sorry. Uh, no, we were looking for killer. That is correct. A Jack Russell Terrier. Jack. Jack is a nickname for John, Jack Russell Terrier. Simon seems very unsatisfied with that answer. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Helen, I believe he'll get a half point, though, for Killer. Yes, half point for Killer. All right, very good. Simon, you ended up doing quite well in that round. But now here is your high-level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing in an expert to assess your response. Simon, the popular Arthur TV series is based on the popular Arthur book series. And conversely, some of those Arthur books are based on Arthur TV episodes. For up to three points, what is the name for the series of books which features an additional word after Arthur? What is one of the five titles in the book series which was adapted from the TV series? And who is the author and illustrator of this book series who has many credits on the TV show? Wow. This is not going to go well for me. So give, give me the first question again, if you would. First question again is, what is the name of the series of books that has an additional word after Arthur? Arthur and Friends. Arthur and Friends. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, then we want to know one of the five titles in the book series that was adapted from the TV series. Arthur gets in a fight. Let's, let's, Arthur. Let, not a title, but that's what I'm going to okay. put out there. <laughs> All right. Very good. And finally, we want to know who is the author and illustrator of the Arthur book series who has many TV credits on the show. I have no idea. I, I'm really embarrassed, but I couldn't tell you the name of the author of Arthur. All right. Uh, no answer there. Okay. Well, Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight is a man who in 2022 celebrates the 25th anniversary of the Arthur TV show as its creative producer and a new book called Believe in Yourself, What We Learn from Arthur. As its author and illustrator, it's Mark Brown. I Hello, knew Mark, Mark Brown. I, had, I thought Mark. I was thinking oh, Mark sure. Reed. Now you know it, Simon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Mark Brown. Simon, couldn't pull your name. I'm so sorry, but we're so happy and thrilled and honored to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's good to be here. By the way, I'd like to point out that in that question, the uh, the one about the Jack Russell Terrier and Killer, that was a question that you provided. I didn't even know it was a Jack Russell Terrier. Oh my goodness. <laughs> wow, that was a hard one if the creator didn't even know. But you actually said the dog's name of Killer is, is uh, your favorite piece of trivia to give people who say that they're Arthur fans. Yeah, I, I stump kids with that all the time. Oh, that's adorable. Well, my favorite piece of trivia about the Arthur series is that it started from bedtime stories that you used to tell. Yeah, I was teaching at a small college in Boston and it closed one day. And I went home that night and my son asked for a bedtime story. And I said, I'm so depressed. I can't tell you a story tonight. And he said, oh, come on, dad. Maybe it'll make you feel better. <gasps> wow. And so, you know, I said, what should the story be about? He said, a weird animal. And so aardvark seemed to be an underserved animal in the pantheon of children's <laughs> literature. Wow. And then, you know, alliteration, I picked Arthur and then he wanted a picture. So I drew a little aardvark and I noticed that his nose was really long. So, you know, all of a sudden Arthur had this problem with his nose. 
And uh, it seemed to be a story that entertained him. And I, I realized, you know, at the same time, Arthur had a problem. I had a problem. I needed a new job. <laughs> so it turned into the best job I could ever hope for. Wow. How old was your son at the time? Uh, he was four. <gasps> and then uh, he's been the producer on Arthur for 20 years. I was going to say you owe him a cut. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't worry. He's taken care of. <laughs> that led to over 45 years of publishing uh, children's books, many of them in the Arthur series. You sold over 65 million Arthur books in the U.S. alone, which is just astounding. Mm. Tell us about this new book that you have called Believe in Yourself, What We Learn from Arthur. It's a little different than some of the other Arthur books that we've seen. Yeah, it was interesting. We wanted to do something to celebrate 25 years of television, the longest running animated kids show in history, wow. and 45 years of books. I started to put this kind of, a, you know, uh, an ode to Arthur together. And I realized I was writing for adults who now had kids, you know, who grew up with Arthur, and as well as kids who were discovering Arthur. And so that was kind of neat. And, you know, uh, the very first book, Arthur's Nose, I hadn't read it in years. And while doing this book, I pulled it off the shelf and went through it. And the last line in the book is, and there's a lot more to Arthur than his nose. And I thought, wow, you know, how true was that? You know, I got to go on all these great adventures, meet presidents, fly on Air Force One, have dinner with Putin. I mean... Really great stuff happened because of this little aardvark. Wow. Wait, I didn't Wait. know that story. Putin? Putin was you a fan of Arthur? With Putin? Yeah. <laughs> we can't skip over that. Well, no. yeah, we did have a thing. Laura Bush invited me to represent America at the first children's Russian book festival. And we had to entertain these kids, and I didn't speak Russian, so we had interpreters. I did a lot of drawings for the kids. Then that night, Mr. Putin and his wife, he was married then, had this big party in the Kremlin. And he made this grand entrance. Everyone was there having their vodka toasts. And we all got a little silly. <laughs> what would the steel dossier say about you, Mark? Yeah. <laughs> Mark, we mentioned that Simon discovered Arthur when he was in third grade. And Arthur is perpetually in third grade. What is it about third grade that you found so rich and able to come back to so often for Arthur? The first book, he was in kindergarten. Mm -hmm. The second book, he was in first grade. He had a teacher, Mr. Marco. And the third grade happened in, in the third book. Mm. And I was writing these for my son, who was learning to read. He outgrew the books, and I had a choice. I could either move on to YA fiction. Mm -hmm. So I picked out a title for the first book. It was A Day at Hormone Junior High. <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't seem too interested in that. So I, I, I thought, well, I'm on my own now. And I like where I am. I like being in third grade with Arthur. Yeah. And so I kind of froze him there. And, you know, he never has to take the SATs, worry about going to college. <laughs> Place. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> you mentioned that uh, the 25th season of the TV show is coming up, and uh, you actually could have started sooner. You turned down other offers for TV. Why did you turn those down, and, and why did you choose to go uh, the route that you ended up with? Well, I had to give up control with these other offers, and, you know, I really was protective of mm -hmm. these characters. Uh, I visited a lot of schools and talked about writing and illustrating for kids. And so uh, when PBS came to me, 
they had this really great agenda. They wanted to use animation and television, two very seductive forces with kids, to make kids want to read. Mm -hmm. And I thought that is a good use of television. Mm -hmm. And Simon, you had great parents. I apologize for the lack of cable in your house. <laughs> oh, no, I don't. I don't. I I, I appreciate it in hindsight. Totally, one hundred percent. We talked about the theme song briefly. Oh, why Ziggy Mardley for the theme song? And what was that recording like? Well, Arthur followed Barney. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I, I stepped into this crazy TV world that I knew nothing about. And the first thing that came to mind was, we need a better theme song. You know, something that's not going to irritate parents. Uh, Because it sure irritated me. I was invited to go to Jamaica when they recorded the theme song. And I couldn't make it. I had I had other I had work to do Mm -hmm. at home. So my executive producer, Carol Greenwald, went down. They were supposed to meet Ziggy at 830 in the morning. It's like 230 in the afternoon and Ziggy and his family stroll in. And they are all so smashed. They're just <laughs> higher than kites. And we we had to digitally do a lot of work on the theme song. <laughs> <laughs> to get out all the puffing sounds. Yeah. <laughs> You've been an iconic writer and illustrator for so long. Do you have advice for people who want to be children's book writers and illustrators? What do you tell them? Yeah, keep a sketchbook. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, every day put something in it. Just get yourself disciplined to listen to what's going on around you and, and have fun uh, translating that to whatever you're writing. I had an art teacher who once said, if you find something ugly, draw it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that that's really true. For me, I remember living in a place and my view was this telephone pole with all these wires connecting to it. And so I decided to draw it one day. And I discovered all these beautiful lines and patterns that were there. And totally saw it differently from from that day moving forward. Very, very cool. Let's get to the reason we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the questions that we asked of Simon. First, we wanted to know what was the name of the series of books called, which featured an additional word after Arthur. Helen, what did Simon say? Simon said Arthur and Friends. And Mr. Brown? Wrong! Oh, boy! You didn't... (laughs) You couldn't wait to tell him that. <laughs> yeah. That is incorrect. What, what was that Arthur series? Arthur Adventures. Arthur Adventures is what it's called that the series is based on. Sorry, no point there, Simon. Next, we want to know what is one of the five titles in the book series, which was adapted from the TV series. Helen, what did Simon say? Simon said, Arthur gets in a fight. Wrong. Didn't, didn't even <laughs> wait for me to ask that. No, no, no. But that's a good title, Simon. I, I took a note on that. Thank oh, you. Look Thank at you. that. Great. We, we've great. got a, a seed of an idea. Uh, Mr. Brown, do you have that list of uh, ones that were inspired by that? Uh, Arthur writes a story. Arthur lost and found. Arthur's underwear, which kids asked me for for years. And I said, <laughs> I got to write that. And Arthur's teacher moves in. Arthur turns green. Yes, but not Arthur <laughs> gets in a fight. Sorry, no point there. And finally, wanted to know who is that author and illustrator of the book series who has many credits on the TV show. Helen, what did Simon say? Simon had no answer for that one. I'm sorry, Mark. I know. Oh. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Mark, Mark is Mark is making the crying uh, gesture with the fist over the eyes. Whenever I go out like this, I leave my ego at home. I remember seeing Maurice Sendak sitting in a department store in Dallas, Texas, and nobody was at the table. Oh, man. Asking for his autograph. Yeah. And it was very sad. So that's a very wonderful and generous attitude that you have. Simon, while we have Mark Brown here, is there anything you'd like to say or uh, ask of him? Yeah, well, what I'll say is 
first I'll apologize once more because I'm from Wisconsin and that's what we do. But though I may not have remembered your name, there are multiple phrases from this television show that my brother and I still throw back and forth at each other sort of as a meme from our childhood. And those two are, or two of them are, green gloop. That is a great ridiculous line that has stuck with us. And when Pal runs away with the balloon and the clown shouts, come back here with my balloon. Both of those we regularly say to each other. You guys don't sing the crazy bus song at all? Uh, I could do it for you now, but uh, no, that one, that, it, that was like you trying to take the Barney theme song and make it the worst possible version of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, Simon, uh, your enthusiasm has certainly redeemed uh, your lack of uh, of name pulling, but the, that, oh, that, that's wonderful for you to share. And Mark's got a wonderful big smile on his face. Uh, Mark, <laughs> we're so happy that you joined us. If people want to find out more about you and your work, where can they do that? Uh, they can go to markbrownstudios.com or markbrown333 on my Instagram. Fantastic. And of course, the 25th season of Arthur is coming out later in 2022. And the book... Believe in Yourself, What We Learned from Arthur is available now. What an honor and a treat. Thank you so much for joining us, Mark Brown. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for having me, guys. All right, Helen, what is our score as we head into the final round? Ooh, it is a tight game, J. Keith. At the end of that round, Sophie St. Thomas has six and a half points, and Simon Adler has six points. Wow, that is very close. But now it is the time for our final round we call Fast Facts. I'll read 10 statements, and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with Sophie and alternate between each guest. Each correct answer is worth one point. Again, the answer to each statement is true or false. Here we begin. Sophie, when you raise money online from a large number of people, it can be called crowd. Crowdfunding. True. Correct. Simon, there's a crowdfunding website called Kickstarter. True. Correct. Sophie, there's a crowdfunding site called StartKicker. False. Correct. Simon, there's a crowdfunding site called Crowdfunder. Probably true. Correct. Sophie, there's a crowdfunding site called Fund Crowder. False. Incorrect. No, there really is for some reason. Simon, there's a crowdfunding site called GoFundMe. True. Correct. Sophie, there's a crowdfunding site called GoFundYourself. <laughs> False. Correct. Simon, there's a crowdfunding site for investing called Money Fund. Probably true. Incorrect. Sophie, there's a crowdfunding site for honeymoons called Honey Fund. True. Correct. Simon, there's a crowdfunding site for veterinary bills called Bunny Fund. False. Correct. Sophie, there's a crowdfunding site for joggers called Runny Fund. False. (laughs) Correct. Simon, there's a crowdfunding site for convents called Nunny Fund. False. Correct. Sophie, there's a crowdfunding site for comedians called Funny Fund. (laughs) True. Incorrect. (laughs) Simon, there's a crowdfunding site for bad comedians called Punny Fund. Uh, I wish it were true, but I'm going to go false. Uh, Correct. (laughs) Sophie, I currently have a campaign on Punny Fund. False. (laughs) Sure. Simon, and, and finally, Simon, it's not doing very well. It, it you don't have it, so it can't be true that you have it. But if you were to have it, it would probably not be doing very well. So I don't know what that leaves it to be true or false, but uh, false. Helen? false. I'm going false. I'm going false because it doesn't exist. So it can't therefore be doing good or bad. Correct. Okay. All right. Uh, thank you for the longest true or false answer in the history of our show. We're not going to count those last few. Those were just for fun. Let's thank Sophie St. Thomas and Simon Adler as Helen tabulates the final score. By the way, uh, the real crowdfunding site for people trying to pay veterinary bills is called Waggle, in case you're interested in helping anyone in that situation. All right, Helen, are you ready to announce the final score in today's episode? I am. It was a very tight game, Jay 
Ray Keith, Sophie St. Thomas has 10 and a half points and Simon Adler has 10 points. Oh my goodness, a super close game, but congratulations, Sophie St. Thomas. You were the facting champion on Go Fact Yourself. What will you do with your championship? I will celebrate this great moment and then um, remember this as the time I got to meet Saul from True Romance. And <laughs> thank you so much for having me. What a lovely way to use your championship. That just leaves us uh, the opportunity for everyone here to promote anything they might like to do. Simon Adler, where can people find you and your work? Radiolab.org or wherever you get your podcasts or on your local public radio station. Awesome. Thanks again for joining us, Simon Adler. Sophie St. Thomas, where can people find out what you're up to? The best way you can keep up with me is on social media. My handle is at the Bowie cat. That's in David Bowie, as in who is responsible <laughs> for the Berlin trilogy, which we didn't get to talk about. And then cat, because I, I love cats. That could be in their category next time. Cat like the cheetah per car and true romance that I got wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's all right. Thank you so much for joining us and playing with us, Sophie St. Thomas. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, my hosting partner is the fabulous Helen Hong. Helen, where can people find you? You can follow me on the socials at... Funny Helen Hong. Funny Helen Hong. Because there's another Helen Hong. She ain't funny. Nope, she is not. And she is not a Bowie cat either. Uh, thank you as always, Helen Hong. And me, you can find me on Twitter at J underscore Keith and on Instagram at jkeith.net, all spelled out. That just leaves me to thank Sophie St. Thomas, Simon Adler, Saul Rubinick, Mark Brown, and thank you for listening and supporting our show at MaximumFun.org. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night. Like what you hear? Come see us live. Maybe by the time you're hearing this. Whoa, it'll be free. Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets. Meanwhile, please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at GoFactorPod, update our wiki at GoFactorWiki.Fandom.com, and buy our T-shaped shirt at MaxFunStore.com. And give us a great review on your favorite podcast platform, like Heinrich from Australia did on Apple Podcasts. He, she, or they said, legit obsessed. This is amazing. Even when you think the topics aren't going to be good, they are. Thanks, Heinrich from Australia, from J. Keith in America. Helen? <laughs> Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised and produced by Jim Newman and J. Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from various homes across the country. Questions were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. We are produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Maximum Fun senior producer is Laura Swisher. Associate producer and editor is Julian Burrell. He's also a hero. Today's show engineer is Alex Aiden. Our theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Research assistance provided by Adam Needif. Quiz assistance provided by Clint Tauscher and Leora Saul. Plus Daniel Storm at trueromancecadillac.com and Mark Brown. Promotional graphics by Erich Tran. Added support from Dave Bianchi and Christine Vallada. Special thanks to Christopher Chafin at WNYC. Christopher Black at Opus Entertainment. Risa Brayman Garcia at the BSB Studio. And Tracy Van Stratton at TVS Media Group. Jay Keith, any relation? She's my first cousin and Mark Brown's publicist. How about that? <laughs> I've been Helen Hong. Let's go get drunk with Vladimir Putin. And watch True Romance? That is a good evening. <laughs> MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.